0: Today's video was recorded on February twenty second, two 2022, and this is the seventh in our series through the book of Exodus. So today's lesson is really the leadoff or introduction to both the 10 plagues and Pharaoh's heart. So most people are familiar with the teaching that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and therefore took away his free will. And many Christians have a difficult time with the idea that God would do something like that, considering the biblical emphasis on free will. But what I'm going to do over the next few lessons is we're going to explore how this teaching may in fact be inaccurate and a misreading of the biblical text. Throughout history, there have been biblical scholars who don't read the story this way. And there are a number of reasons from the Bible itself as to why they're justified to come to a different conclusion. And if we don't know those reasons and where they are in the text, it can be very easy to misread the story. So this is really my ultimate aim. I'll be arguing over the next few weeks that God, in fact, did not take away Pharaoh's free will. And today's lesson will be the foundation for my hypothesis, because as we'll see in this lesson, God needs ten plagues. Not one, not two, but ten in order to show Egypt and therefore the world that he is Lord and God. So this lesson is really foundational to what will follow over the next few weeks regarding Pharaoh's heart. So we hope this lesson helps you gain a better understanding of the full context of what's going on in the book of Exodus between God and Pharaoh and what the message is that's being sent out to the world. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on why God needs 10 plagues. We're going to start Probably a few weeks long of 10 plagues, Pharaoh's heart. What do we understand that's going on? And tonight is going to kind of lay the foundation for that. Um, it'll lead, it'll, it actually will segue from last week, God's name, because we talked about how important it is. They want to know God's name. What's his function?
1: What's his essence? What's his nature? Because. They don't know their God yet, so tonight it'll it'll segue in.
0: We'll segue in from that because we're gonna to see tonight. Now God has to show Egypt who He is, and they don't know who He is, and the world doesn't know who God is. And sometimes when we read the Book of Exodus, we bring our lens of two thousand years of Christianity and a thousand years of Judaism to say. I can't believe that they didn't know who God was. Like, but in their world, we'll see tonight. It's just a that's the question you ask: Who's this God? And what we're gonna do is tonight we'll lay the foundation for looking at Pharaoh's heart in a little bit different way uh, than we know it. So, because the big question everyone wants to know is, did God take away Pharaoh's free will? And we're gonna address that because there are some
1: things underlying our English that uh, disrupt things. So, okay. Uh, Our picture, the background, this is actually a photograph. I got it off of um,
0: Adobe, Adobe Photos, so I did not take that photo. In in the Middle East, they have these huge dust storms, huge. Um, Unfortunately, I've been in a few of them, and they're really uncomfortable because dust is blowing everywhere i mean we get a out in, out in phoenix and stuff like that but so this has got a lot of the as the sun is setting with all of the particulates in the air makes great light for photography um but the middle east is uh, notorious for their for their uh dust storms and so part of the reason i wanted to choose this photo to get not only uh the pyramids but the sphinxes in there is that The building projects in Egypt and the building projects all over the ancient world, even all the way up until Jesus' day, tells you how powerful their God is and how glorious their civilization is. So, the Jews, even in Jerusalem, want a glorious temple. Why? Because it tells you how glorious their God is. And, of course, there's a shift, you know. Paul in Corinth saying to the people, "Hey," and they're like, "Where's our temple?" And Paul's like, "You're the temple now." This little house church is where God the the Holy Spirit resides. That's a powerful shift. So, these pyramids, even today, I mean, you go you go there today and you stand there and you can't believe how big these things are and that somebody built them and you think, "What kind of great civilization must have built this?" That's the glory and the power of Egypt. And they would have been the caps of those would have been coated in like a gold. So for miles away, if you're an enemy approaching Egypt and you see those, you start thinking twice about uh, going after a civilization that that's powerful. So we'll get, we'll talk about that tonight and that will come into play. So this is week seven in Exodus. And the question we're asking is why 10 plagues? now. In our um, Christian tradition, we're not used to coming to the text and asking tough questions, questions that maybe we can't even answer. But um, really exploring around what's being said, usually it's like, well, that's just what happened. It's like, no, let's think about why ten plagues. So why not one plague? Why not two, right? Surely God could have brought them out in one plague. In fact, we'll see tonight that God is going to even say, I could have wiped you off the face of the earth, but I didn't because I have a purpose. And so the 10 plagues is much more about a purpose that God is going to show not only Egypt, but the whole world, who is God most high, right? Who
1: is the God that that controls the cosmos? So that's our question, why 10 plagues? So. One of the first things we could say about the 10 plagues
0: is they just go to the number 10. Bibl- biblical numbers always have some association with it. And so number 10, this is, this is uh, the first one on your sheet. Why 10 plagues, right? Well, 10 in uh, the biblical thinking is completeness. Uh, 10 times in Genesis
1: 1, and God said... So 10 times God speaks, and you get then, that's a completeness
0: for creation. Um, 10 commandments, uh, 10 plagues. So something about 10 is shows a level of completeness. So if you're going to show the world who who's God and who's not, there's a level of completeness in 10. Uh, divine perfection is another one. Order is another one. And God's authority, it represents God's authority.
1: So God, yes, could easily have done this in one. But then how does that put his authority on display? Because one, and you say, uh, that was just a fluke. That wasn't really God. You know, we need to see it again. Then you go two.
0: Uh, well, it's just a coincidence. How about three? Okay, now we're getting a pattern here. And we're building a pattern. So as you go four, five, six, pretty soon, there is no question. And what you'll see in the responses of Pharaoh, his magicians, and then Pharaoh himself, he will build up to a point where the 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 uh, magicians are saying, hey, we need to end this battle right now. Don't you realize you're destroying Egypt? Uh, by the 10th one of course that's the completion of it so 10 that's that would be the first thing to do is just start out with that number um the second one and this is number 2 on your handout is that god needs to show the israel or i'm sorry egypt that he is beyond the cosmos and what i mean by that is he's outside of time
1: and space as we know it and as they envisioned it in the cosmos So, when we think about Egypt, in the book of Exodus, Egypt is a stand-in for
0: the entire world. Egypt was the most powerful civilization, the most glorious civilization. Now, of course, you have Babylon and the Hittites, and they would all battle it out right over uh, that town called Megiddo where there's going to be the, the Battle of Har Megiddo one day. But Egypt is the stand-in for the world. And we talked last week, they live inside that great cosmos that's a big cycle. And to them, everything exists inside that cycle. So you have this pantheon of gods. However many gods they have, those, all those gods
1: live inside the cosmos pharaoh pharaoh is considered a type of
0: god or he's a semi-divine being or god man come whatever it is he's part of god now he's in the cosmos as well and one of the distinguishing factors is of who becomes a god and who doesn't is simply who has more glory uh If you went from Pharaoh, you could go down to the people and you could even talk with the animal the animals there and so, in their mind, the animals could be just like a god as well, in fact, some of them would be representing a god. There is no difference there we don't we have different categories in our way of thinking; they just saw it all as one cosmos, and so who's got the most glory? that means you're a god, and that's what Pharaoh represents It's all about his glory, and we'll talk about. The glorious shining power that comes out of Egypt. Now, what's God going to do then? God's going to show up and he's going to say, uh, But see, I'm outside of the cosmos. I'm the creator of the cosmos. Yes, I can interact with the cosmos, but I'm outside it. I'm outside of time. I'm outside of space.
1: By the way, this issue. Is not going to go away for ancient people. Uh, in Jesus' day, the number one competitor to Christianity for
0: the early church was the god called Mithra, and we had talked about Mithra many years ago. Mithra was a god. What had happened was, if you remember, uh, you, this is so much, this is so long ago, but the um, there was a there was a crisis in the cosmos. They realized that the stars didn't move how they thought they moved. And when they they realized this, they said there must be a god outside the cosmos. And what they came up with is a god called Mithras. And of course, it's just our god, but the whole point is this doesn't go away in the ancient world so even up to Jesus' day, they're still wrestling with the idea of all the gods are inside the cosmos, except for that Jewish God over there who's supposedly outside the cosmos. All right, so this is what God's going to do. As we move through these chapters and we start to unfold what's happening, God's going to tell them, I'm outside the cosmos and I'm going to unveil my glory. So we don't see the word glory used for God. Until after the plagues are kicking in. And then God's glory comes on display. So let me show you one example. This is after the plagues, and I forgot, to, I didn't put this on your sheet, so I apologize. If you want, we're going to be turning a lot in the Bible. So if you want to open up to Exodus, you can go to 14. Exodus 14 is after the Passover, but before the Red Sea but I just want to show you how these two verses go. What This is
1: actually what God is up to. So Exodus 14, it's 17 and 18. So verse 17 says, I will harden the hearts of the
0: Egyptians so they will go after them. Now we'll talk about that next week. And then it says, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his
1: chariots. Oh, sorry. I will gain glory. This is what God's up to. So He the the hardening of the Egyptians,
0: and that's, there's a purpose behind that. It's to glorify God, to show his shining power. So I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his armies, through all his chariots and horsemen. Then verse 18, here's the second half. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when i gain glory how do you explain to a world that is all about power and glory and all kinds of gods that you are the highest god well you have to speak to them in their own culture and then show them your glory which is power so god is there's two things happening the egyptians will know that i that he is the lord and God's gaining glory. So it's these two words right here, glory and glory, that are really what we ought to pay attention to, because this is when you start to see the glory of God being revealed. They recognize who they're standing in front of. So this is what we'll basically talk tonight. I'm going to show the Egyptians who I am, and my glory is going to be revealed and these are the two most important things cuz it's really a big shift after that when he goes out to mount sinai. Okay, so that said, let's talk about this word glory. What does that mean? This is the distinguishing feature, right, between man and God, right? The the gods were glorious, filled with power that man didn't have. And so a king was seen to be imbued with a certain amount of glory, a shining power. We do this to our leaders even today. People envision that the leader has more power than they actually have. And so if Pharaoh comes into power, his glory elevates him to be one of the gods. So when you're seated on the throne, you're
1: assumed to have all this glorious power. So glory, and it's a type of—it's this is kind of it's it's strange—shining power. So, when we think of something that looks glorious,
0: there's a shining element to it, but glory is also about power. Whenever you see glory in the Bible, think shining power. And when you, they see glory, there's two things, two responses, or two, um, two emotions that it creates in
1: us, awe and fear, at the same time. So when you recognize the glory of God, you are in awe
0: of what you're seeing, what's in front of you, but at the same time, you feel a sense of trepidation, of fear, because you recognize the power that's in front of you. And all of us have gone through experiences where awe is just, it's amazing. You feel very small, you can't believe the power in front of you. And hopefully, as we become in a relationship with God, the fear subsides. How often does God have to say, do not be afraid? So shining power, it's marked by that fear and awe. And so for a king, I'll show you a few pictures in a minute, you represent your shining power by a crown. What, what do all kings throughout time wear? They, they're like bedazzled. You bedazzle the king to make them look shining and powerful, and that's supposed to tell you how powerful they are. So glory. Now, really important. Where does the word glory come from? At least what's the underlying
1: in the Old Testament? So we're going to see this word a lot. The Hebrew word for glory, at the root of all
0: Hebrew words, is usually three letters. In this case, KVD,
1: Kavod, or Kaved, or some variant of that, KVD. Now, Kavod is translated into glory, but in Hebrew it means heavy or weighty.
0: It's the weightiness of God. So it could mean physical weight, and sometimes that does. But when it's talking about God, it's the weightiness of
1: God. How heavy. If you recognize the reality of who God is, you do not take it lightly. And so
0: there's a, it's a weight. There's a, there's a heaviness to it. That's that fear and awe that when you see something in glory. The word, a noun, the word kaved, noun, it means liver. So, the human organ for a liver, probably because it's the heaviest organ, but it's also seen to be the seat of the psychological uh, aspect of a human being. In the ancient world, it was the heart and the liver. So,
1: the same word, kavod, you get the word uh, liver. Now, here's the problem. In our English, the word kavod also gets translated hard and harden. So, the text literally says, Pharaoh heavied his heart. God heavied
0: Pharaoh's heart. So, you have what we'll explore is, why would they use a word like heavy to talk about Pharaoh's heart? Well, it actually goes into all this glory, and then there's other things in Egypt as well. But It, it fits, but I just want you to know,
1: that word kavod, we'll see a lot of. That's why I brought it up today. Um, okay. And if you're talking about people, uh, people who are important and have glory, to honor somebody. So in the Ten Commandments, kavod your mother and father. There's a heaviness to your parents. Of the, of the seven billion people in
0: the world, there's two, a mother and a father, that carry extra weight when their word says something, right? Their life and death to you as a child. And when the word of a parent comes out, it's heavier than a normal, and we all experience that with our parents. So to honor your father and mother is is. kavod, same word, same uh, root. Uh, so important, honor, splendor, power. So that's all when it has to do with people, When it, or when applied to a person or
1: a king or a god. So, okay, so glory, shining power, let me, oh, whenever you see it
0: used, there's something about brightness associated with that glory. And if you have a king, like I mentioned, you dress him up to embody that brightness. And there's I don't know, the phenomenon of a human being where
1: brightness equals some kind of power, right? So um for instance, I just put this you'll have to go read it at some point,
0: but I just want you to note 1 Timothy 6:16, 6, don't go there, but God resides in unapproachable light." So, the glory of God is shown by an unbelievably white, pure white light. He's an unapproachable light. That's how the Bible... God is, shows up in fire, so there's light. He shows up in a pillar of, uh, of fire. Or think about the transfiguration of Jesus, What's, what are we witnessing when, we, when Jesus transfigures? The glory of Jesus is being revealed in the transfiguration. His clothes were as white as the brightest light. Light is streaming out of his face. And so when you see, you know, here's a painting of the transfiguration.
1: That's his glory shining through. It's shining power coming through. And so, to the ancient world, to see the transfiguration, ah, glory that's the
0: power. That's glorious, shining power coming through. Now, what do you do
1: if you're an Egyptian? What do you do with a human king? You make them shiny, so you might see something like this out of Egypt. So, you're going to show the world how glorious your king is by covering him in gold. Because, well, that's what they did. That shows the, the glory of, of the king. Um, it said,
0: or scholars note, so this is a crown. This is an Egyptian crown. And Pharaoh's crown, because it has was a, glory, a symbol of glory, was said to strike fear in the enemy. And so you, if you think of any crown that goes on a king, jewels, something that makes it, stand out and that is supposed to intimidate strike fear in the enemy so and what we're going to see of course is the glory of god going up against the so-called glory of pharaoh and then the last piece is if you want to show the world how glorious your civilization is you build some buildings like this i mean this is like the uh you know if you're a shepherd living in the desert of Egypt. And suddenly you walk in and see those? Surely that's a glorious king. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a kid who lives grows up on a farm in the middle of nowhere goes to New York City. He's got big eyes. He can't believe how many buildings and how tall they are. They must be gods that built those buildings. We still kind of have that same reaction about how powerful you must be to be able to build something like that. This would be an amazing thing. Hence the reason they uh, built them, to show their power. Okay, so that's glory. Really important, because this is an underlying theme of what's going on in the whole 10 plagues, as God says in in verse 14, Pharaoh is there so that people can see my glory. Okay, now we're going to do something. What I want you to do is, if you have your sheet, you can flip it over to the back, and I'm going to walk through uh,
1: in one direction, so I won't skip back and forth, and I just want to read some verses. God needs ten plagues. And this is going to become really important when we start to see the words that are used for Pharaoh's heart. God needs ten. Pharaoh starts to waver.
0: God steps in. He strengthens his heart. We'll see that next week. Why? I need you to keep going, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh keeps going so that you get to 10. Why do we need 10? That the world will know that I am Yahweh or I am the Lord. So we're going to see this a whole bunch of times. If you're just kind of reading fast, you might not pay attention to them. But this becomes an underlying theme of the the plagues themselves. Because the plagues are going to tell the world who's Lord. All right, so what I want to do is start with Exodus 5, verse 2. And so, starting right at the top
1: of your sheet on uh, on the backside of your sheet. And this is going to dovetail from last week. Because... Moses and Aaron are going to go to the
0: Pharaoh, and they're going to say, hey, God uh, God of Israel wants us to uh, vamoose out of here and go into the wilderness so we can worship him. And Pharaoh is going to, of course, say, uh, he must not be that powerful because you guys are slaves. And if your God was that powerful, y'all wouldn't be slaves. So, here's what he says. So starting at verse five, uh, or sorry, verse one in chapter five, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And of course, now you understand Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? I never heard of him. I don't know who this is. He's not in the pantheon. You guys are slaves, so he can't be that powerful who is he that I should obey him and let Israel go? Now that makes sense. Ah, it's not like he's just rejecting God out of hand. He doesn't know who God is. So then he says, I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. It's just just an honest statement from a guy who's like, I don't know who this God is. So that sets the stage. For now, as things are going on, we're gonna start seeing this phrase, so that you will know that 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 God is or that is the Lord
1: okay, uh now, next, turn flip two chapters to Exodus seven. We're gonna look at verse five, and again, all we're doing is looking for the theme that's running
0: through. These plagues, that there's more going on than just I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna go berate the gods of Egypt. He needs to show the world that he is Lord. So, um in chapter seven, God is speaking to Moses and Aaron. He's telling them what he intends to do,
0: and he's telling them, Here's what I intend to do, so that Egypt will know that he is Lord. So, verse four, uh then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, and I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And then verse 5, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against
1: Egypt. That's the key phrase. He's just kind of telling him that abstractly. But as we move into the
0: actual plagues, now there's some specifics come out, and these are really cool. So, what I want you to do is turn to chapter
1: 8, and this is going to be the plague of the frogs. We miss this, I think, when we think about Exodus,
0: and what I'll show you is some building. The, the, the plagues are going to be building, and they're going to be changing slightly to show you something about God. So, Without getting too much into the weeds about the frogs, or maybe, what would I say, the lily pads about the frogs, um, it's the plague of the frogs. Before we get to the verse that we're going to look at, you just have to notice how it's, there's some, a bit of irony going on uh, with the text. So in verses 6 and 7, we have Aaron. Aaron stretches out his arm, and the frogs emerge from the Nile, and they start to populate the land. And then verse 7, which is kind of funny, says Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. So they're able to reproduce it. And so in their mind, well, the God's not that great. We can do the same thing.
1: So verse 7, Pharaoh's magicians do the same thing. But what's the irony in that? Yeah, there's more frogs. So,
0: you know, your God isn't so powerful on one hand, but now they just made the situation even worse by bringing more frogs. So, verse 8, this is what Pharaoh is going to say to them. Verse 8 says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let you go. Now, what's interesting is, pray to the Lord, supplications to the Lord, make supplications to the Lord. Hey, his magicians could bring the frogs out, but I don't think they can put them back. So he says, hey, pray to the Lord, and I'll let you go, right? He's he's already beginning to waver. And then something really cool happens, because now there's going to be an element of time that's brought in. So look at verse 9.
1: So Moses says to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to
0: pray for you. Now that's really important, because this is going to show us that God is Outside of time, in a way, he's going to be able to step in at certain points and do something. So Moses says, Hey, you set the time, Pharaoh. Now, if Pharaoh's really concerned about the frogs, his answer would be,
1: Do it right now. But that's not what Pharaoh says. Look at verse 10. Pharaoh goes, "Uh, Okay, tomorrow. Like, wait a minute. Pray that you take these frogs away. Okay, when do you want me to do it? Uh, How about tomorrow?
0: What you can see is there's a test happening. Is this God big enough to do it tomorrow, not just now? And then Moses replies, it will be as you've said, so that you know. Ah, Why is God adding an element of time in? So that you know there's no one like the Lord our God. Bingo! It's the time added in that makes it so it's not just frogs, Because the the magicians can do that, too. It's the timing of it that makes it see how different our God is.
1: Okay. Really important that we notice these little details. Okay, next one, still in chapter 8. Go down to,
0: uh, it's the flies, the plague of the flies. And so what's going to happen in this one now is God's going to be
1: able to He's going to be able to make changes for geography. He's outside of space. So God's going to demonstrate that he's beyond geography. And, or he can at least be very
0: precise in what he's doing. So he's going to send flies to one area, but not to the next area, just next door. And the other guides can't do that. So Exodus uh, 8, verse 22 starting with 21. Well, let's see, I will send swarms of flies. That's what I just want to show you what plague we're on. And then verse 22, this is what God says. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. How is God going to deal differently with the land of Goshen? How can he deal with something that's just right over there? Where my people live, they will have no swarms. Why is he doing this? so that you will know that I the Lord or I the Lord am in this land. So again it's a why do the differentiation? Because I'm showing you the type of God that I am. I will make a distinction says God between my people and your people. Uh-oh. Our gods can't do that. So he's tightening uh he's he's dialing in the plagues to and he'll do this the whole way. So it isn't just the the plague of flies, right? It's the being able to distinguish. Okay, turn the next chapter. Let's look at
1: one more real quick. This is the plague of hail. And then I want you to look at verse 14. This time I will send the full force of my
0: plagues against you and against your officials and your people
1: so that you may know there's no one like me in all the earth so why do this aha right now look at verse 15 this is what I was talk- we were
0: talking we talked about we started with the first question why 10 plagues verse 15 says for by now i could have stretched out my hand and struck your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth okay god then why didn't you Verse 16, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. How can you get the name of God proclaimed throughout the earth? You got to show them in so many different ways your God. This is one of the key, uh, for me, it was just like this moment of when I finally realized the little details in these that show you the, the intensity that God is ratcheting up. But it's, it's there for a reason. He's outside of time, he's outside of space, and he needs them to be able to ex- exclaim who he is. Now you think, is it only for the Egyptians? And the answer is no. Um, we're not going to read this one because there's just too many, but if you go back and you read Exodus 10 too, I put that on your sheet. God's going to say, look, all of these plagues are for you so that you can tell your children and your grandchildren what the Lord did for you. Wouldn't it be great if you could tell your grandkids about it so that they don't have to go through the the you know the difficulty? It'd be so much nicer if they could hear the stories and then understand the type of God that they're dealing with. So you can read that on your own. And then I'll, um, well, we're not totally done, but let me do this last one. This is the one we talked about briefly last week, I believe. This is now chapter 12 is the Passover event and it's the night that God is going to pass over those who have the blood on the doorpost and he says on that same night I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals
1: and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt So he can you can see he's uh one of his other in one of his other Things that he's trying to
0: accomplish is to show you what kind of God he is. He's bigger than all of these other gods in Egypt. Okay, last turn because this is kind of where the whole thing gets summed up, and I just want you to know it's there. Um, The last turn is Exodus eighteen, so it's a little bit ways off, but I it's almost like the so you have to realize as we talk about the the author putting together a structure to communicate what's going on. And so you have maybe a bracket. God says, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring judgment against Egypt." And then this is kind of bracketing the end because they've gone through the Red Sea, they finally made it to Mount Sinai, and Exodus 18:11 is now uh Moses' Moses' uh father-in-law, Jethro. And he says, oops, "Excuse me." He says, "This is now Jethro talking." Praise be the Lord who rescued you from out of the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, and then the key verse, verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is
1: greater than all of the other gods. It's like this little summary sentence. That now from Egypt it starts to go out. Yeah, you have all those
0: other gods? Well, watch out for the for the God of the Israelites. He's greater than all these other gods. And so it's, again, the way that God is, has to go out to the world to tell them uh, that he is greater. So if we go back to the beginning and we say to ourselves, well, why ten plagues, right? Why not one? Well, for all these reasons, I need to show the Egyptians that I am the Lord. I need to show Pharaoh who I am. Because it's got to go out into the world, the, power, the glory that is being revealed to you. And he does it step by step by ratcheting up each of the plagues. <coughs> so, there's a completeness to it. God transcends time. He transcends space. And the glory or the power of God is being shown compared to all the other gods in existence, And the same thing is going to
1: happen all the way up into the New Testament. Now, I just want to make sure people wrestle with the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, something that's really interesting, you see God's glory is being put on display here. But he's doing it culturally. He has to show up
0: in the culture and speak show up culturally, to show them what kind of God he is. By the time we get to Jesus, though, the book of John talks about Jesus's glory. There's, a, there's an emphasis in the book of John about glory, and this time there's a shift. And the glory isn't, uh, yes, J- Jesus has the shining power,
1: but the power comes in with love. The power comes in with sacrificial, um, the sacrifice to one another. It's forgiveness that God is saying,
0: as we're going, tr- as we're trajecting our way through this, what I really want to show you is the, that when glory shows up in how I really want it to show up in, in my son shows up in forgiveness and love, and that will transcend the world in a way that power just doesn't. But here in Egypt, God has to show up as the Egyptians would have known him then. So just something to think about. Um, with when, By the time you get to John, you r- we're still wrestling with glory, but now it's Jesus' glory. Okay, so that's just introduction. That's going to lay the foundation. For when we start talking about Pharaoh's heart, because um well, you'll see. There's there's some curveballs in there that we're gonna deal with and um but I but if you understand that God has to get him through ten plagues, now you start realizing, Oh yeah, maybe maybe we've you know, maybe we've just jumped to the conclusions on on what God is doing with Pharaoh's heart. So we'll talk about that next week. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. Fig Tree Ministries is an educational nonprofit and we're 100% listener supported. If our lessons have been valuable to you in your study of the Bible, we ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one time donation or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 per month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. By setting up your DonorBox account, you'll be able to easily track your donations when it comes time to doing your taxes. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts, and as you go into the world, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom.